In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, and here with me, as always, is my executive producer, co-host, and Duke of Weaseltown, Mike Graham. Don't let them in, don't let them see. Be the good Weaseltown you always meant to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let it go. I'm gonna stop you there. Now you know. <laughs> you, you don't you don't get to do that. Let it go. Uh, yeah. Let it go. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping you were gonna stop me sooner. I was trying to stop you before you got to the climax, Mike, because you don't you don't get to deserve you don't deserve <laughs> to to emulate the great Indita Menzel. Are um, you telling me that my vocals don't have that kind of range? I I'm telling you that without saying that out loud. Yeah, I hope so. Have you heard me singing in our theme song? It's pretty great. Well, I, I'm assuming it took a lot of audio magic to make it sound as good as it did. I, stock plugins, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, sir? So, Mike, we are back. Um, you know, we we got some feedback after doing some really intense episodes the last two weeks that we would cover something a little bit lighter so um we'll get to that we are going to do a little bit of a lighter episode tonight yep i gave a little teaser there by yeah, singing it. <laughs> that's right in, in case you haven't already figured it out but um i wanted to talk about something that's sort of in the news and that i as a therapist and someone passionate about mental health and men in their mental health uh am interested in for those people who may not be aware gillette just put out this Add sort of decrying toxic masculinity, and it got all of this reaction on on quote unquote both sides of the aisle, whatever, however you want to see that aisle. Yes, it did. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting from a mental health perspective. I wonder what what were your thoughts uh, on the ad or on the reactions? Uh, well, on the ad first. I mean, I didn't have a problem with it. Well, actually, I did. I had, I almost had a problem with it. And that was, I was watching it and I thought to myself, if even one of these guys starts shaving, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like then it would just lose its, all yeah. of its value. If they tried to transition into a shaving guy, then that it would be like, okay, yeah. what are we doing here? I'd yeah. be like, yeah. thanks Gillette. No, they stayed on, they stayed on theme pretty well. I don't know how I feel about commercials like that as far as it's a bunch of people in suits sitting there talking and being like, how do we get people to look at our brand? Sure. Yep. There's no question that it's got this like corporate presence to it. But at the same time, I, I don't see a problem with the message I, besides the fact that what the message is, is about a problem. And right. I agree with it, I guess. Right. You know, it's basically, and for those people who haven't seen it, I encourage you to look it up. Basically talks about how men should hold other men accountable around issues of bullying and, and sexism and catcalling and all these sorts of things that have been, I would say, increasingly uh, part of the, you know, whether you 
think about the Me Too movement or all these different aspects of, of things that are being talked about more and more in society, there's a push to make it something that is sort of more heavily addressed by other men as opposed to just, you know, um, women, you know, telling men how terrible they are sometimes. Right. It, like the message I got out of it was like, it's raise your raise your boys to think differently. Absolutely. Yeah. So they talk about the next generation of men. Right. And how we can sort of teach them to, you know, the sort of Gillette tagline to be the best men, the best that men can be. How we define that is sort of changing over time. They have a lot of like little examples in the commercial, like almost like the old 50s model of masculinity. Oh, sure. Yeah. So where do you see, like from your perspective, like where does the like where's the mental health twist in there? Well, it's interesting part of it because, you know, the sort of masculinity machismo thing, I would say typically goes against like going to get help for your mental health. That's not explicitly said in this commercial, but it's definitely something that you sort of feel at times, you know, as a therapist where it's like, you know, I don't really buy this whole thing. I'm only here because my boss says I have to come in for anger management or whatever example you want to make up. But for me, you know, the more interesting part is the sort of crazy negative reaction from people, you know, when I think we could generally agree that the message of the commercial that like guys or men should not be uh, bad people and treat people poorly. Like that's a generally uh, accepted message. I don't know who would have a problem with that, but a lot of people had a problem with that. They do. And they, they're taking it personally. They're taking it as attacking their manhood. And I was reading a, not reading a lot about it, but seeing a lot of things crossing like different feeds as I'm posting our stuff out there. And one of the things I kept reading was people had a real big problem with them saying uh, that specific line about boys will be boys. And they kept saying like, well, boys will be boys. But it's like, they didn't mean that you can't be a boy. That's, you know, that's not what they were trying to say. What they meant by don't have your kids think boys will be boys is in a like sexual harassment sort of way. And not only that, but not using the boys will be boys tagline to explain away problematic behavior. Yeah. Like if you, right, if there's like a bullying incident or, or uh, hazing, stuff like that, it's like, oh yeah, boys will be boys. Like, no, we're not, we're not accepting that explanation as something that uh, is, is okay. You know, we just, we don't just brush off, you know, abusive or, or sexist behavior because that's what boys do. Yeah, there's just this weird fear out there, I think, when you see reactions like this of men having a problem feeling, and even me saying this is like this like way you're raised to think, but feeling like they're thinking in a feminine way in any way whatsoever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so now their masculinity has been challenged by their razor company. <laughs> well, right. Their, their version of masculinity. Yeah. And right. So the, yes. Yes. Their the other. Version. Yeah. The other sort of mental health aspect of this is and I want to do I'm not accusing anyone in particular of having this, um, let's say, defense mechanism. But there is this defense mechanism that we talk about in therapy called reaction formation. And basically what it is, it, is it happens when a person like feels an urge to do or say something and then actually does or says something that's like the opposite of what they really want. So in this example, when people react 
negatively to this, I think we can say broadly as a positive message. It's essentially, you know, they want to, as we just said, hold on to their version of masculinity, but they feel like that version of masculinity is being attacked. So even though this this message is generally positive, they feel like they have to attack it negatively so that they can hold on to what they want to do. So it's this defense mechanism of like, my lifestyle is being threatened. I still want to be able to act in a way that I think is appropriate. And if this is being attacked in this way and people maybe broadly are seeing this as a good thing, then I'm threatened by that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's hard to even say how to solve those feelings for the the people that are taking an offense to it. Yeah. Like where do you even start to just to say, hey, you know, it, this is this is just saying we can be better. Like there's no reason not to improve all the time, you know. And not only that, but realistically, if even if you disagree or, or think that this is not a problem, which is a, 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 lot, a big part of the um, attack of the ad is like toxic masculinity is not a thing. OK, even if that's what you believe, then really your problem with the commercial is that it's unnecessary, not that it's wrong, which if you feel it's unnecessary, like that's fine. You can have that belief. And if you feel like you're a good person, then it doesn't apply to you. Kind of leave it alone. Right. So that was, I think that was my biggest confusion of these people that were like getting really upset with broadly seen just like a pretty neutral, if not entirely positive message. So, you know, we like to talk about stuff in the, in the news sometimes. And I think this is something that, when when I see it, like people need to think about why am I reacting yeah. so strongly to this? And yeah. Why are other people reacting so strongly yeah. to it? What What are your guys's like out there, listeners? What are, you know, anyone listening to this? What are your opinions? You know, send sure. us a message. Let us know. Hit us up on that Twitter. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, okay. So we do have a whole big episode to get going on. Yeah. So let's do it. We are going to be talking, as we said, uh, about something a little bit lighter. And that's our first truly animated movie. We've talked about a comic before, but this is our first animated movie, and that is Frozen. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Mike, people be are going to turn off. Mike, you come always on. meant to be. <laughs> All right, let's do it. We're losing listeners by the second. Why did you bring me here? I couldn't just let them kill you. But I'm a danger to Arendelle. Get Anna! Anna has not returned. If you would just stop the winter, bring back summer, please. Don't you see? I can't. You have to tell them to let me go. I will do what I can. Today, we are covering the character Elsa from the 2013 Disney epic adventure, Frozen. Princess Elsa, the heir to the throne of Arendelle, is born with magical freezing powers. She spends her childhood openly using her special abilities to play games and go on adventures with her younger and only sister, Anna. In a tragic accident, Elsa nearly kills Anna with one of her patented ice blasts while playing. Anna is only saved when she is rushed to see Grand Poppy Troll. 
Grandpappy tells Elsa's parents that he must remove Anna's memories of Elsa's magic. He warns them that Elsa's powers will grow and that fear could cause her to lose control. Elsa, heartbroken and guilty over what she feels she has done to her sister, begins to seclude herself and hide her gifts. When her parents are suddenly killed during a storm at sea, Elsa goes even further into isolation. When Elsa comes of age, she is crowned Queen of Arendelle. Overcome with the stress and pressure of the public eye, Elsa sends Arendelle into an endless winter and exiles herself from her own home. Anna fights to get Elsa back, but is struck in the heart with yet another, even more powerful ice blast. But through the power of love, Elsa overcomes her fears, returns to Arendelle, saves Anna, and brings the warmest of summers back to the land. Well, Mike, I would argue that Anna saves Elsa, but we can argue sort of who saved who for the rest of this episode. <laughs> well, love saved everyone, I think. That's right. Exactly. Well said. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, thank you for that synopsis. I think, yep. you know, we wanted to do a, a lighter episode, but here we are talking about a character who almost killed her sister and lost her parents then as we're going to talk about might be depressed for a large segment of her life and is needing to sort of overcome that. So our, I hope our listeners are ready for the lightness. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, you think just because you're watching a cartoon that we're just going to be cracking jokes for the next, you know, 25 minutes. But, uh, I think there's, yeah, there's, I think there's a lot to kind of unpack with this one even. There sure is. And I have a lot of feelings about, uh, Anna and Elsa's parents, which I'm sure we will get into. Yep. But yeah, so Elsa as a character is an interesting one because, you know, as we mentioned up front, we are sort of talking about depression, um, but there are a lot of different ways that we could sort of frame the experiences that she went through and how events played out that led her to where she was and sort of becoming almost like the villain of this movie, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it's weird because in popular culture, you see just... Elsa everywhere and you just kind of think she's the big hero of the movie but when you really watch the movie she is she is kind of the 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 villain of the movie you know she she kind of destroys the town she has a lot of issues going on and they start from when she's a little little kid uh and to be honest with you I think it's a really good angle to like kind of look at this through the lens of what happens to Elsa from when she's little so it, just starting from the get-go, and, and like we said, we're looking at this from all the stuff she goes through in the depression side of things. So she is little, and the first thing that we see that happens to her is she's kind of, I guess, blessed with these special abilities and gifts. One of the first things that happens is she accidentally hurts her sister very badly, her sister Anna, with one of her like spells or, or whatever. Yep. And her parents have to rush Anna to the like local trolls. <laughs> Yeah, the local troll ER. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, the experts down the road. And and so she has to rush in there and they end up like removing Anna's memories and telling the parents, hey, Elsa's got to hide these powers. You got to be careful because fear's going to like drive her to lose control of these things. So she's got to kind of put this in the back seat. So, yeah. So hold on, because I don't think that Grandpappy actually tells them that she has to hide her powers. He doesn't say that. Well, he says he says I, I think he scares him. That's how I took it. He says fear will be your enemy. 
And and to me, I took it as if I was the parents in this situation, he's talking about Elsa yep. and tell and and saying, I gotta remove these memories from Anna, and then saying that uh these powers are gonna grow as Elsa gets older, her ice powers, and that she needs to be careful because fear will be her enemy. And I think she, that Grandpappy scared her parents because we see what her parents do after that. But yeah, they they take it completely the wrong way is what they do. Right, right, right. And this is where we see Elsa turn from this playful little girl into what we see for the rest of the movie. And Ryan, I was hoping you could kind of tell us what this change means for Elsa and and where we see it and why and what's going on. So, yeah, I mean because I, I just want to finish focusing on this scene because the king says, you know, she can learn to control it, I'm sure, which is right, great so far. They want to protect her. They want to help her control it. And then his next line is, we'll lock the gates, reduce the staff, limit her contact with people, and keep her powers hidden from everyone, including Anna, her sister. I, I wish that there was like a next beat of Grandpobby being like, Oh no, you don't no, don't don't do that. That I'm not saying to isolate her from the world like right. she still needs to be a kid. Yeah. And and even We're like what are you thinking? What are you talking exactly, about? Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> because even and they both emphasize this aspect of controlling it, but at no point do we see the the parents or Elsa like trying to learn to use her powers in appropriate or healthy ways. It's just like as the dad's later says, conceal it, don't feel it. Which is like, how can you not feel yeah. this very obviously important part of your personality? Yeah, and that line, like in particularly, kind of like hit me, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like in the chest, like you know, we've talked about, like I, I actually have uh, been diagnosed with major depressive disorder, and like the words "conceal it, don't feel it," like mean a lot as far as like you don't want people to know how you're feeling. Um, so you're concealing like and putting on that big smile all the time. So yeah, that really got me. But but Elsa is even isn't even given the opportunity to go out and and give people that smile. Every every scene we see of her growing up is her hiding in her room. You know, yeah. I mean, and and obviously, so a lot of this quote unquote diagnosis is coming from uh, interpretation of what we see in some of the scenes. Like we don't actually see Elsa. For example, like eating by herself. We could assume that might be happening, but we don't know because it, it's pretty clear when, you know, Elsa is uh, coronated that like that first conversation between her and Anna seems like it's the first time they've actually spoken in like years In years. So it's like, yeah. wow, like how intense must this separation be? And obviously it's had a really damaging effect, not just on their relationship, but on each of them individually. Absolutely. But what I what I was wondering, Ryan, is right after the the incident with Anna when they were kids, is is as far as depression goes, we do see that change in her like right away. I mean, I was just wondering if you could talk about what that means for somebody as an outsider, like seeing somebody switch like that from night and day, isolating themselves, like what does isolation mean? That kind of stuff. Yeah. So for Elsa, we see her basically stay in her room. And a lot of that's because of guilt. You know, she, as far as she knows, maybe almost killed her sister, you know, so now she can't have these sort of healthy, fun interactions. Well, I should say she can have them. And the troll even says, like, I'll leave the fun, implying they should still be able to have fun with each other. But they don't even physically see each other for we don't know how long. So, yeah, 
I'm, I'm going to go off on the parents maybe later on in the episode. <laughs> but for now, like, obviously, due to whatever these decisions are, you know, Elsa no longer has interest or pleasure in the activities that she had with her sister and because they locked the gates. They don't go outside the castle. So how much are they even allowed to, like, get fresh air and do things that they would enjoy as kids in general? So, yeah, we're seeing a lot of sadness. We're seeing probably a very consistent low mood for Elsa, which is why we think depression. Yeah. And now, is it common for people with depression to avoid other people? Do people with depression literally, like, go somewhere and shut a door and be by themselves that way? So, yeah, it is sort of a cliche, that picture of someone, like, hiding under their covers in the dark. But for me and the people I've worked with, it's uh, sadly accurate you know, people who are severely depressed don't want to go interact with people, as you said, and like fake a smile. Yeah, they don't have the they don't see themselves being able to enjoy going for a walk outside. They they stay inside. They binge Netflix. They play video games like these sort of minimally engaging activities because either because they've lost interest in other activities. Sure. Or because they're they're so intensely sad or guilty or agitated that the idea of interacting or engaging with people is is sort of too much. So yeah, this is absolutely what depression looks like, especially in children. Just speaking from experience, and I don't know what you think as a therapist, but from my experience, one of the reasons, and I've done that a lot, uh, go in a basement, lock the door, turn the lights off, you know, get on my phone or, or not even just that. Sometimes just turn a fan on and put the blanket over my head. A big part of that for me is like, I, for some reason, I don't like people like looking at me and I'm wondering if that, and I'm not like trying to get advice for myself. I'm wondering if you think that that could be possibly like part of what's going on with Elsa or if that's common with people throughout depression. Yeah, absolutely. So specifically with Elsa, um, we know that Elsa's feeling a lot of guilt. So Elsa has not forgotten the incident that happened with Anna. Anna has forgotten it, but Elsa has not. So we know that Elsa feels incredibly guilty about what has happened. And as a result, not only maybe doesn't want to face Anna, but as we know through her flashbacks later on in the movie, doesn't want to risk hurting her again. Yeah. So when you've had an experience, a really a traumatic experience like that, the isolation comes both from the guilt that, that maybe you've experienced and blaming yourself and hating yourself even to that extent, and also in not wanting to interact with people because of the feelings that those interactions generate. Now, that just got me immediately thinking, in Elsa's case, we saw that switch happen from when she was a little kid, and it was sort of like an incident happened, and then it started like you said, you're going to jump on her parents. It started with the way her parents sort of trained her to think and be. Yep. But for people out there worldwide, is is depression a traumatic incident thing? Is it just the way it is? Is it a chemical thing? Like how and why is depression happening? So it could be either. We think of depression as it, it can be learned through experiences that we have, and it can also be genetic. So if your parents uh, or grandparents have experienced depression, um, you're more likely to be, um, let's say, quick to those symptoms. You're more likely to be reacting to things in that way. In Anna's, in, sorry, in Elsa's case, because of these initial incidents, both from almost, let's say, killing her sister, as far as she knows, again, and also losing her parents, 
you know, the sort of lesson that she's learning that she carries with her. And this is why in some ways it does re- resemble PTSD is mm-hmm. that she's she's learning that the sort of solution to intense feelings like fear or anger is basically to turn inward and avoid and let it go. Right. Basically to yeah. avoid as much as possible, you know, create your own ice castle in your head and don't deal with any of this uncomfortable stuff. Now, I think this movie has a lot of metaphor in it, like tons of it. For sure. Just like you're saying, like in the songs, like you can hear them. It's not just us. It's all over the place. You can uh, just reading them very easily. You can see um, to the point I was actually even reading uh, the the person who wrote Let It Go was the same person who wrote the songs for the Book of Mormon Broadway play. Yep. And if you know anything about those songs, they're they're very deep the same way. But just telling you that because there's just so much metaphor going on, but taking it to the coronation scene, there is a whole bunch going on here. And I'm wondering kind of how that relates to people kind of going through this every day and whether people in real life would react this sort of same way if they were having a major depressive episode. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, the the song Let It Go is really presented at this sort of like weirdly triumphant moment where Elsa doesn't feel like she has to be the quote-unquote good girl she always has to be. You know, she doesn't have to be um, the sort of the perfect girl that I guess she was expected to be from, like, her parents, as an example. And she can just be herself. She can literally let her hair down and build her ice castle, and now she can just be herself. But yeah, the problem with that, and this this does happen with depression sometimes, I think, when it escalates, is that we can sometimes feel very confident in extreme decisions that we make. I'll give you an example. Things like breaking up with a significant other, quitting a job, deciding not to socialize with a specific group of friends anymore. You know, when people are depressed, they can feel very confident that that's the right thing for them to do because they are depressed. I mean, they are agitated. And some of that emotional experience is sort of convincing them that they need to be by themselves, like that that's the only way that they can really be comfortable. Yeah. But the reality is, as, as we see it with Elsa, is like things do not get better just because you're by yourself. Not even close. Not even close. In fact, a lot of times it makes it worse, even though you feel like you're going to feel better. Yep. Uh, but going back real quick to let it go, you're just talking about some of the lyrics I had a pretty um, sort of dark take on Let It Go. Please. And, you know, I don't want to get too, too dark here. But Elsa, she she has her coronation. And like I said, there's a lot of metaphor there. The things going on with her gloves, her not being able to take them off, um, really fearing that, like, her power and that kind of thing, uh, part of her personality. She accidentally freezes Arendelle, which I don't even think she knows about, but she she exiles herself from her own home and she goes up into the mountains alone and sings this song. And you said, you know, it's this huge triumphant moment. But when I'm listening to the song, she's saying things like uh, the wind is howling like the swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Uh, and then, you know, we said it before. Don't let him in. Don't let him see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel. To me, I don't I don't want to get too dark, but this seemed like a social suicide. I don't know how, how to put how I felt about this. This seemed like a very dramatic, completely pushing people out of her life. Yep. Obviously, I mean, it's very obvious that's what she's doing. But 
as far as the metaphors go, it just seemed it seemed pretty dire to me in a in a pretty dark way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I actually agree a hundred percent. To me, it's not as much a triumphant song as it's like a sad song because for me, she can both be who she is, be who she wants to be, feel that joy of using her powers and also have healthy relationships with people. And that's the thing that she doesn't feel she's capable of until, you know, we, we learn all the lessons that are happening in the movie that love kind of sets you free and blah, 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 blah. Um, I want to talk about that too, because I think there's, there's some interesting aspects of how Elsa's quote unquote cured, but it's definitely not this triumphant song for me. It's like, Oh no, she thinks this is the only way to fix things. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was thinking a little bit about Anna and families and when someone does what Elsa does throughout this movie and just completely withdraws the way people with depression do. Anna does this thing from when they were little kids until however old they are. I'm assuming that Elsa's like 18 during coronation time. And she basically never stops pestering her, almost never stops pestering her to be in her life. To me, that was an excellent example of how to be with somebody with depression. And I was wondering what you would like advise a family member to do if someone was experiencing major depression. Yeah, I totally agree. Anna is actually a pretty good example of how you can just be sort of a stable support that, you know, she she goes up to the castle. She says basically, like, I'm not leaving, you know, and that's really what people who are going through depression need is that that certainty, that stability, that even if they're not ready to accept that help right now, knowing that that not being ready is not going to be something that pushes people away. So just because Elsa wants to be alone, that doesn't mean that she's going to lose her sister. And I think for Elsa to be able to experience that, that that then is confirmed as that's what love is. That's what support and, and a healthy relationship can be for her that they can both be afraid of, of bad things that could happen, but also still have a, a good relationship and, and trust one another. So yeah, for, as far as, you know, more broadly, people who are depressed, I mean, in some ways, need the opposite of what Elsa's parents did, which is like, they still need healthy interactions. They need to be able to go outside. They need to be able, and this is like, in the metaphor of Elsa's powers, you can sort of think of as like, Maybe that quirky passion that your kid has sometimes, like your kid loves collecting bugs, like whatever it is. <laughs> my my son loves uh, tractors and combine sure. harvesters. <laughs> so like the worst thing a parent can do is be like, that's dumb or we're not playing with that or put that away and really not really invalidating that passion, that thing that makes the kid special. Because really, that's what Elsa is. It's this just kid who has this special interest and ability, and her parents basically tell her to keep it hidden and don't yeah. do anything with it. Not even not even control it. Let's see how we can make it work for you, but just like try to ignore it and push it out of your experience as much as possible. So that you know, that's the uh, people with depression need the opposite. Do you think that like a parent? I mean, it makes you worry so bad, but do you think that you can put this on someone like someone that would have otherwise been depression free, I suppose? Can you, as a parent, make this happen for someone, I guess? So, yes and no, because I don't I don't want to um, completely put the blame at the feet of Elsa's parents, because Elsa, as she's growing up, could at any time make the decision 
you know what? I think I've pushed my sister away long enough. Let me see if I can handle a relationship now, 10 years later or whatever it was. So at a certain point, those decisions become less about what the parent has taught and more about what the the person has internalized and is maintaining as their worldview. To answer your question, uh, unfortunately, uh, yes, parents are so powerful when it comes to, so this is the way I put it to my patients sometimes, people's internal monologue, their internal voice is often the way they were spoken to as a child. Oh, wow. So Elsa internalizes the messages that her father specifically gave her. Wow, is that true? uh, I mean... I don't know it's how <laughs> I'm like thinking I'm like how do I think <laughs> Yeah so so for me it's true it's not something that I can like point to research and say like yeah when people talk inside their heads it generally resembles one of their parents voices like that's, that's there's probably not research I can point to you but I know exactly what you're saying though I mean yeah. even sometimes when I speak out loud I go there was my dad you know Yeah exactly right so, so yes, in that way, you know, especially if we talk, talk about the sort of more extreme sides of things, you know, um, emotional abuse, physical abuse, those events as children have such a, a huge impact on how a child views the world and views themselves. Hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's scary to think about as a parent that you could have that much um, influence on your child, especially in a negative way. But if you also sort of remind yourself that you can also be that positive voice, that unconditional positive regard voice, which I'm going to talk about later, that you can also create this incredible resilience in your child. That I hope that I hope that that provides some counterbalance to the fear that we're talking about. Sure, sure. Okay, so going forward, we have we have a Elsa in the mountains. And we have the ever persistent Anna chasing her down. Uh, and another amazing story of love where she's not going to give up on her sister, basically no matter what, and yep. will go through whatever extreme she has to go to, which is if you have a support system out there that's anywhere near this, you're lucky. And, you know, it's it's an amazing thing. And so she has a big confrontation with her. And another, uh, like I said in the synopsis, big powerful ice blast gets gets on a and and you know she sends her close to her death. I should say, yeah. This is kind of where uh, you said earlier about her getting cured. Suddenly, Anna or excuse me, Elsa has to face her fears, and through the power of love, she ends up. I guess you know you said Anna saves her, but she saves Anna, and then. Everything is fine. How does she save Anna, Mike? Well, because she's like, she makes her melt. (laughs) Anna makes herself melt. No, because Elsa does, because she's the one that loves her. So she's the true true love. No, 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 no. Elsa was the recipient of the act of true love. So, you know, they say only an act of true love can heal a frozen heart. So Anna's Anna's heart is frozen. How many times have you seen this movie? (laughs) Oh, Mike, uh, don't get me started. Um, Anna's heart is frozen and Anna uh, commits the act of true love for Elsa, thus thawing her own frozen heart. Now, Elsa's heart is technically perhaps also frozen, but not in the literal sense that like they, the, the prescription from the trolls, right? Yeah. 
So Okay, so that's not how I saw it at all. I saw a frozen Anna and because Elsa loved her and it Okay, so yeah, that you did that's not what I saw at all. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sorry to burst your bubble mic, but Anna is the hero of this movie. Well, I knew that, but Okay. I just thought it was like because they both loved each other. Well, so, so right. So I think what happens is then Elsa realizes that love is the answer, right? And love heals all or love, whatever they say after Anna comes back to life. Love thaws, right? This is what they say. So love thaws. So then Elsa is then able to feel the love for her sister when she sees that her sister is willing to essentially sacrifice herself for her. And then in feeling that love is able to thaw the ice of Arendelle. Yeah. So is Elsa sort of also committing an act of love yeah absolutely but it's it's that initial self-sacrifice on anna's part that thaws her own frozen heart i'm not i'm not backing down from this <laughs> no, no 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 you're totally right you're totally right okay. you gotta remember uh, so i watched this i think four times in the last two days okay so with my kids though but all four times were while watching my kids so all right you know how that goes yeah but the the point was that and Elsa is cured. So can it be cured? And this is frankly a question that patients ask me all the time. And the, the short answer is no. Now, it can be successfully treated to the point that you may not even notice any symptoms or experiences of depression. Um, and that could be both through uh, talk therapy or uh, medication or both. Unlike in the movie where you just sort of have this experience of love and now, oh, now I figured everything out and I'm not some emo ice queen anymore. I'm just like a normal, <laughs> I'm a normal princess and everything's great and we can live happily ever after. No, in, in fact, if we're assuming Elsa is actually ha experiencing, you know, major, probably recurrent depression, she's likely to have, you know, recurring episodes where she still feels bad about, you know, let's say Anna's commitment issues or, you know, all the sort of various consequences of her actions, both as a child and as a young adult. So I would say it's likely that someone like Elsa would still have ongoing issues in various ways. So in that sense, the, the cure doesn't really exist. Love is great and is certainly a big part of right. um, sort of receiving that support and being able to see yourself differently than when you are you know, severely depressed. But Mike, I actually want to talk about a song in this movie that actually really touches on this pretty well. And that's the Trolls song, Fixer Upper. Oh, no. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's, so He's I have to admit when I... Fixer Upper. Yeah, it's a great song. <laughs> so when I first heard this song... Four times. I, yeah, I, so, I know, I know. When, when I first heard this song, I kind of just, I was so tired of the Trolls. I was just like, all right. The dumb trolls are going to solve the problem, blah, 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 blah. But if you stop and look at the lyrics of this song, it's actually a really nice way to identify some of the things that do ease some of the depressive symptoms that Elsa is experiencing. So and it's interesting because in the in the song itself, they're actually talking about the interactions between Anna and Kristoff. But so uh, if you'll humor me, one of the things they say about Kristoff is, his isolation is confirmation of his desperation for human hugs. So, <laughs> is it possible to say it without singing it? All right, fine. <laughs> uh, his isolation, Kristoff's isolation, is confirmation of his desperation for human hugs. Huh. 
In other words, um, and this applies both to Kristoff, who we also see as a very isolated person. All he has is his reindeer, uh, basically. Other than that, he doesn't have a lot of human interaction. Like Elsa, their isolation is confirmation of their desperation for human hugs. So both Elsa and Kristoff, as we experience throughout this movie, actually really benefit from positive human interaction and human connection, human engagement. But they they have different levels of sort of resistance to that. Kristoff is like very willing to have interactions. I mean, he has some sort of like iciness um, at the start where right. he doesn't even want to help Anna. But once they get going, you know, he's able to let her in and they obviously go on to have a romance, whatever. But with Elsa, her isolation is absolutely confirmation of her desperation for human hugs. You literally see them on opposite sides of her bedroom door and, and Elsa's just in pain wanting to be able to have a better relationship with her sister. So that's just, just one part of this song. And there's one other piece that I thought was just really genius in the way it was written. And I won't sing it this time because it's a little bit longer. So they say, and this is again sort of referring to Anna, but I'm going to quote it as if we're talking about Elsa, just so we understand. We're not saying you can change her because people don't really change. We're not saying you can change her. Mike, I just said I wasn't going to really sing change. it. I just said I wasn't going to sing it, Mike. <laughs> Sorry, that's my favorite Will part. Will you let me read out the emotional thing? Yeah, okay, go. God's sakes. We're not saying you can change her because people don't really change. We're only saying that love's a force that powerful that's powerful and strange. People make bad choices if they're mad or scared or stressed. And we know with Elsa, like fear and anger are like her biggest things, right? Throw a little love their way and you'll bring out their best. True love brings out the best, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's a bit of a fixer-upper, but when push comes to shove, the only fixer-upper that... I'm sorry. The only fixer-upper fixer that can fix up a fixer-upper is true love, true love, true love, true love, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, we see that play out at the end of the movie, but I think it's so true that when people are experiencing severe depression, they do have a hard time accepting the love of other people. Absolutely. Because they, they don't see themselves as as either wanting or deserving of it. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of guilt. Yes, for sure. And it's, it's, a, it's a lot of negative self-talk and negative self-views as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of... You feel weird about yourself, and I think that you have a ton of guilt over how much you feel like people have to take care of you. Uh, you know, there's that like cliche of, I don't want to be a burden on people because you feel that way. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a goofy song and, um, I didn't mean to, to criticize your singing by any means, but I think it's, it's, if you break it down and we talked about metaphors in this movie, like there is some, some real truth to the importance of like accepting and giving love when it comes to overcoming some of these negative self thoughts of depression. Okay, Ryan, I think we got uh, a lot of good stuff going on there, but we do have to take a break. And then I think we're coming back with something uh, pretty fun today. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Pop Psych 101, a show discussing mental health and popular culture through two perspectives, a patient and a therapist. We explore the accuracies of how mental illness is portrayed in movies, books, and television for better or worse. All right, and we are back, and we are, uh, Ryan's got some good ideas going on today. Today, we are going to be doing another segment of Unpopular Opinion. If you haven't listened to the show before, 
Every once in a while, we will do an unpopular opinion. Ryan's going to come out and tell us something that he thinks about today's movie. And we are going to have a debate. I'm going to be forced to take the opposite stance. And we're going to debate and see if I can change Ryan's mind. Unpopular opinions! All right, so Mike, obviously... Uh, the listeners will have an idea that I don't love the way that Anna and Elsa's parents um, handled the incidents from their childhood. And even like as a side note, like the decision to take a sea voyage together when their daughters were like unable to talk to each other and one of them had magic powers like that just seems like a bad idea in general. But well, I, they're like uh, they're like running a kingdom and stuff. I I'm sure they have like next to nothing to do with. Them yeah, anyway. but like maybe just send the king. I don't know. Like, why do both <laughs> of them have to go? Anyway, we can we can go deeper. But my unpopular opinion today, and um, we can qualify this however you want, but um, is that Anna and Elsa's parents, uh, King Agnar and Queen Iduna Iduna. Um, I don't know how do you pronounce their mom's name. Because I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know they had names until you just said them. Well, there you go. Are the worst Disney parents of all time. Oh, wow. Okay, so I have to I have to come and say another Disney parent that's worse than them. Can I, does it have, okay, is there any rules here? Can I say? Well, so, right. So, I mean, I, I can qualify that as much as we like. I mean, I can say birth parents. I can say... Uh, uh, parents, like specifically, you have two parents, which obviously would eliminate a whole bunch of people. So I won't say that, but but yeah, I mean, for as far as I'm concerned, they basically turned their daughter into practically an evil villain, hmm. you know. So as as a result of that, and I'm I'm trying to go through the list in my head. I'm happy to to be challenged. I'm going on through this. it right now. Oh, yeah. I'm going, I'm going um, through the list. But they M- Mufasa. were the most damaging, uh, as far as I can tell. Mufasa, worst parent. Mufasa was the worst parent? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He's one of the best. He's the best parent. Oh, man. <laughs> no, hold on, hold on. All right, hold on. Uh, okay, okay, I got one. I got one. Let's hear it. The There is one worst parent. Okay, now you got to cut me some slack here because this is a mom and dad duo, but both parents aren't bad. Is that okay? Sure, let's hear it. Okay. Uh, the dad from Peter Pan. Okay. Uh, show your work. Show my, okay. So George Darling, right? Sure. This is Wendy Darlings. So first off, we have a dad that comes in. This guy, he does nothing but holler at his kids, right? Nothing but holler. He like throws the dog around. This is an abusive guy. Emotionally, probably physically. We don't know. We haven't seen it. However, he also, he leaves like their window unlocked for like anyone to just fly in at like their own whenever they want to. So like anybody that flies can just get into their kid's room. That's crazy. Uh, Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't entertain any of their dreams or wants to do's. He's just uh, he's a mean guy, this George Darling. And so he drives his kids from his home to Neverland, which is actually a metaphor for dying. So he literally kills his children. Does he literally kill them? 
He metaphorically kills his okay, children. That's better. <laughs> right? Sure. So he smothers his kids in the night and sends them to their death. And that is the worst parent in Disney history. So saith me. I mean, if if he literally killed them, I would agree with you. Um I so I guess I guess the way that I would respond to that is um I'm going to tackle this debate from a different angle. Okay, I'm I'm here. So so George Darling, yeah, is a realistically bad parent. Agreed. Okay, he's has no patience. Uh, I mean, I actually, I'm almost like <clears throat> I get it. Like his kids are, yeah, <laughs> they're like you know he's got three kids. Life's tough sometimes, mm-hmm. but he's yeah he's got no patience. He's yelling. He's screaming. He's doing all these things. He's he doesn't want them dreaming or or having like hopes or any of these kind of things. Here is why that's worse than Elsa's parents. Because they are kings and queens of an entire civilization. They, like you're saying in the episode today, they let Elsa go into complete isolation and don't have a lot to do with her. Well, you know, these are like not only insanely rich people, but they're people that are got things to do. They're like out of all people that have an excuse to like have nannies and and not be around a lot, these are them. So not to mention the fact that their kid was born with ice powers, and there isn't another evidence that there's another human with powers in this movie. So we have probably they're frightened. You know, all humans are frightened by things that they don't understand. Yes. And and, and they go to a troll who tells them, now I do think they take it the wrong way, but like we said in the episode, the troll does not correct them when the dad overreacts. And so they take that as the doctor's advice and they do what the doctor tells them to do. And then they continue running the kingdom. I think that George Darling is a more realistically bad parent, whereas the parents in Frozen were, were under bad circumstances. Okay, so I agree with those statements, and I guess the only way I can counter is that um, under the circumstances, as you mentioned, the irresponsibility of Elsa and Anna's parents carried way more weight than uh, one realistic, blustering, angry, maybe verbally abusive father. (laughs) Maybe. As we noticed... Elsa not being able to control her powers because, as uh, Grandpappy told them to, that this is something that she should learn to do, and her parents did not do that. They put the kingdom, meaning hundreds if not thousands of people, in mortal danger, Mike. Thousands of people could now die because Elsa's parents didn't uh, appropriately teach her how to control her powers in a healthy way. Well, I mean, if, if if her parent was George Darling, you know how, like, snakes are more venomous when they're kids? No, George I don't know Dar- that. <laughs> or when they're little <laughs> baby snakes? It's true. Okay. So baby snakes release more venom when they bite okay. when they're younger. They have no way to control the amount of venom comes out, so they're actually more deadly. Venom I'll take snakes. your word for that. Okay. It's true. Just like that, so are... Superpowered people. We know this from 
every like mutant that we've seen in Marvel. Sure. So George, being the worst parent, would have set Elsa off much earlier with his craziness and his and his verbally abusive nature. He would have, she wouldn't have just frozen the town. She would have frozen everyone in it because he's the worst parent. She would have killed everybody. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so I guess I, I guess if if you swapped out, uh, you know, George for Elsa's dad, like, would the consequences be worse? I can say, definitely, possibly, um, because because Elsa, um, you know, it, it might look less like depression and more like oppositional defiant disorder, where she's just going like head to head with this guy over and over again. I don't know if she's as likely to kill other people as she would just be likely to kill him. Obviously, that's also problematic. It's And she would probably be also depressed after she killed him. So she yeah, would get both. That's true. Yep, that's true. Yeah, so so I guess... So you know what? I, I will concede this round to you. But I, yes! I wanna, hold on. I want to I qualify that with... We have two different types of parents here. One that is sort of like intentionally damaging... And one that is unintentionally damaging, which I think is is in a lot of ways uh, worse because it just shows ignorance and, and, you know, poor understanding of circumstance. I think that they're both that. But well, yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's fair. So, you know, directly abusive is worse than indirectly abusive. I just want to let you know that right now the Mike Tyson bell from Mike Tyson KO is going to play because I just won. I'm dancing. Yeah, I mean, I think really for these segments, we're going to have to start bringing in a neutral third party. Otherwise, you know, we could just go back and forth forever. <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was fun. All okay, right. Ryan, we got to we got to wind up. Uh, if you haven't heard the show before, we always do rate the shows on a scale of one to five. Ryan does one to five somethings on the accuracy of the portrayal of the mental health issue to real life. And I do a one to five stars on the awesomeness of the movie or book or film or whatever it is we're covering. Ryan, what uh, what are you looking at this week? So I'm doing it out of five warm hugs because I'm sad that we didn't talk about Olaf at all this and whole episode. Because he's he's perfect. I mean, there's nothing you can say. Oh, he is perfect. But in being perfect, we should give him more credence. But anyway, <laughs> so, you know, we sort of acknowledged throughout this episode that we are sort of taking some leaps in arriving at this diagnosis. And I think that's okay. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to have fun with talking about this sort of problematic, both individual situation and family situation. So in light of that, I rated Frozen on a scale of zero or one to five warm hugs, a three right down the middle. There are definitely some uh, signs of depression here. But as I said, there are also potentially signs of PTSD, and and we got to be careful, I think, in being too heavy-handed in deciding, you know, uh, mental health diagnoses to fictional characters. So that's why I'm I'm right. hedging you when know. they're not specifically yeah. tackling it. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I actually thought you were going to go a little higher, only because of how many people have written about depression in this movie. Yes, yeah, so there's a generally held belief that is true. So, okay, so I got to do one out of five stars on the awesomeness of this movie, and I am going to go three. A three out of five for Frozen? Yeah, I got to go three. 
Now, the songs are great. All right. Don't get me wrong. Songs, fantastic. I've never really liked the movie that much. I have seen it before in the past numerous times. Like I said, it's been, I watched it four times in the last two days. Now, if you've ever watched a movie with a kid, that means you get to watch like some scenes in each watch. Uh, I got to piece it together in the last couple of days. But, um, you know, it's a pretty good Disney flick. And, uh, but you know, I've been watching Moana a lot recently and nothing holds a candle. So. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. Listeners direct all your hate mail to Mike <laughs> at pop psych one oh one at gmail.com. All right, guys, uh, we do have to get out of here for today. Uh, thank you so much every week for listening to us. Gotta say thank you to Kevin McLeod for most of the music that we use on this show. You can find his music and you can use that music too at incompetech.com. And I do just want to say, Ryan, thank you so much for talking with me every week. Thank you, Mike. Okay, so technically this was our first animated movie we chose to cover here on Pop Psych 101. And even though this movie is obviously intended for children, I think there are some important takeaways for families and parents as well. First of all, even though diagnosing Elsa with major depressive disorder required some interpretation and stretching on our part, there were clearly some warning signs that she, or someone like her, could benefit from intervention. As mentioned in the episode, in a lot of ways, Elsa's parents did her a disservice by isolating her and removing things from her life that would have been potentially regulating and beneficial. When people suffer from depression or have been through a traumatic experience, closing the gates is the last thing that they need. What they actually need is support, positive engagement in activities or socialization, and healthy opportunities to process their emotions. Finally, while letting it go might seem like a good idea for people in the depths of depression, those feelings that you're trying to let go of don't just go away because you don't want to think about them anymore. People often try to ignore their most troublesome thoughts and feelings, but with the love and support of friends, family, or even a therapist, fear and anger can be overcome. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you, as always, to my co-host and executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and YouTube at PopPsych101. We are specifically on YouTube for our fans who may be hard of hearing. We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. PopPsych101 is not only a podcast, but also a radio show. You can find us on the real-life radio station on Dash Radio. If Dash Radio is not installed on your vehicle, you can download their app on Android or iOS. For the podcast, we are on all major distribution channels, so please rate, review, and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.